great champ. Where'd all your friends go? A final check of his tires as Storm settles into the pole position. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's end this season with a great race. Jackson Storm is making his way onto pit road with McQueen on his tail. A good stop here could mean the difference between victory and defeat. Come on, come on, come on! Faster, Guido, come on! I gotta get back out there before he does! Guido, hurry up! Back the back. What a pit stop by McQueen! Man, he just got the lead! What? Can he hold on to it? Listen, don't you worry, pal. You had a good run. Enjoy your retirement. Storm takes back the lead. Unbelievable! McQueen is fading! McQueen is fading! Fading fast! No. Crucible Church, how are we all doing today? Good, good, good. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. So the title of my sermon today is Out with the Old, In with the New. And we're moving forward in um, 2 Corinthians, uh, going on to the third chapter. And so with 2 Corinthians, um, you know, there are times in our lives we're going to experience significant change. And then with this last week, there's actually been a mini milestone in, in, in my family's life. We've actually purchased a used car and replaced our aging Honda CRV. Had to say goodbye to it. Um, you know, we got this brand new back in 2000. I don't know if some of you were born in 2000, but we were, we, uh, you know, we've had it since then. It's been in our family for, you know, 18 years. And it was sort of sad because um, we had had this built in so many memories uh, in this car. You know, this is Jax. You know, Jax was born, and we, we took him home in this car, and we've gone on a lot of memorable road trips and things like that. And so there's a little bit of sentimental value in it. And, in fact, you know, Jax was, when we told him we were going to sell the car, he started crying. And I was like, oh, you know, it's okay. We'll, you know, it'll be fine. And, you know, Tracy, as we were parting with it, even said her goodbyes, saying, oh, you've been a really good car, <laughs> you know, um, sort of like, you know, giving away a family pet or something like that. But, you know, I, I know it was time for us uh, uh, to be out with the old and in with the new. And so we purchased this beauty, the Ferrari California, 552 horsepower, 
zero to 60 in 3.3 seconds. Top speed, 196 miles per hour. And there's even space for jacks in the back, right? So it's actually a four-seater. Okay, well, I'm kidding, okay? <laughs> we actually bought a car with similar color. It was a Toyota Matrix, um, good, reliable transition car. But you know what, more often than not, um, there are times when change can be good, right? It can be renewing, it can be refreshing, uh, and good for the soul. And we as Christians must be ready to embrace change because God can help that change um, help us to grow and become more like Jesus. This was very much the case for the Corinthian church. You see, they wanted to stick with their old ways. Uh, even though Paul had introduced them to the new way of life in Jesus. And so in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, it's Paul's goal to convince the church that the new covenant of Jesus far surpasses the covenants of the Old Testament. Because this new covenant, it's an everlasting covenant that brings man face to face with God in an everlasting relationship. We're going to read our scripture for today, and it's found in, we're going to focus on verses 7 through 18 of chapter 3. So beginning, Now, if the ministry of death, carved in stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what was once had glory uh, has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For what if... For, sorry, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put on a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Jesus is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. May God have blessings to you. And so with Corinthians... I'm preaching on a passage today that is part of Paul's letter 
to basically reassure the, them that uh, his love, his commitment to this body of believers. And just to review, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in response to major problems that were going on in the church. The people of Corinth, they didn't take Paul's advice uh, and teaching. They actually rebelled against his apostolic authority. And so Paul had no choice but to actually visit Corinth to resolve these, these issues in person. It was a very painful visit, as it's documented in 2 Corinthians, for both parties. But at least the, the outcome of it was some had come to repentance and actual reconciliation with Paul. And so in this third chapter of Second Corinthians, Paul first says, look, I know you want credentials or some sort of letter of authenticity. Authenticity about myself as a leader and what I teach. But don't you, don't you guys get it? I ministered to you before. I helped establish this church. And the teachings of Jesus Christ can be seen in your lives today. That's all the authentication or all the proof that you guys need in order to, to see that my message is truth. And then Paul transitions and begins to explain what this ministry of the new covenant is. He exhorts the Corinthians to let go of the old covenant and embrace the glorious new covenant of Jesus Christ. But before we go further into the message, I want you to... I want to give you a little bit of a primer on covenants. So the definition of a covenant. First off, the Hebrew word for covenant is bereth. And it's actually found uh, in, in the Bible about 321 times. It's a legal agreement between two or more parties Covenants are how God communicates to us and how he redeems us and how he guarantees us life in Jesus. A covenant is a promise, but it is a very special promise in that when God actually promises something, it cannot be broken. Why? Because his promises rest in his infinite, pure character. See, if God says he's going to do something, he's going to see it through. The covenants are a blend of law and love. It's, it's, this concept is so unique that even in today's society, there's no category uh, of, or, or definition to describe it in, in today's society. It's a personal relationship that's made more loving and intimate because of the legal aspect of it. You see, the Old Testament describes covenant as having a language of intimacy, right? We're, we're seeing phrases like his people, our God, you know, personal possessive pronouns. And then coupled with that is this language of law, sealing with an oath um, to confirm. And with covenants, there's a, a specific pattern in the Bible that happens. So there's basically a terms and conditions that are fairly simple. And the initiating party of uh, the covenant describes himself, what he's done, and then he, he lists these obligations between the two parties, right? So, for example, you follow the covenant, 
you receive blessings or rewards. You break the covenant, you violate it, you receive curses and punishments. It's, it's that simple. Did you know that the Bible itself is a covenant document? So we hear of uh, the New Testament and Old Testament. Testament is Latin, is the Latin version of covenant. So you could say it's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant as well. And lastly, the, this, the beautiful distinguishing factor about covenants in the Bible between God and man is that they are all originated by God and they are an act of His grace. There are, there are four main covenants that I think we should all know in the Bible. Um, and I'll just go through them quickly for you so I give you an understanding. We can better understanding, uh, understand their significance. So the first covenant, maybe most of you know, going to, if you had some Sunday school background, the covenant that God has with Noah. And so in the book of Genesis 9, we find this promise made by God after the, the flood. And then it's an unconditional covenant between God and Noah um, and God and humanity. Basically, uh, this means that man can break the covenant and it will still be valid, right? So God knows that man's going to continue to sin throughout the world, but he vows not to actually destroy it by, by flood uh, ever again. And he, he gives the sign of the rainbow. I heard that. As a, a promise to never destroy uh, the earth by flood again. It is also a reminder that God can and will judge sin. Interesting fact for you, you moviegoers. Did you remember uh, about sometime about this time last year, uh, there's that movie, uh, Alien Covenant? Have you seen it? I, you saw it? I saw it on the plane, or saw half of it. I slept through half of it. But, you know, I'm a science fiction fan. I, I watch alien movies and whatnot. And it was interesting that when it first came out, this title, I said, Alien Covenant, what are they doing? Are they going to make a truce or a peace, peace treaty with the aliens? Um, but you know what? As it turns out, it's a biblical reference to Noah's Ark, you know, the story of Noah's Ark. And this spaceship is called the Covenant. And it's transporting these colonists to you know, some place to, to populate another world. And, and in, with this, the covenant brings promise and hope of, of new life in a new, in a new world or a new planet. But we all know those, those xenomorph aliens, they're, gonna, they're not going to be peaceable, right? They're going to be seen in that. Anyway, moving on. God's covenant with Abraham, second covenant. This is a very special covenant as well. So this is shortly after uh, the time of Noah. And in this covenant... God promises multiple things. He says he's going to make Abraham's name great. He's going to have numerous physical descendants. Abraham's going to be the father of a multitude of nations. He's gone as, even as far as to outline the borders of the land that Israel is going to possess. And then finally, through it all, all the families of the world will be blessed through the physical line of Abraham. All these promises by God. Now, 
this blessing through the line of Abraham is a direct reference to Messiah, who would later come from the line of Abraham. And, and basically, Jesus is the one who's going to bring blessing, uh, the blessings of God to the whole world. So that's the Abrahamic covenant. Third one, Moses' covenant. This is a covenant uh, of, of God between, between God and Israel. This is also known as the Mosaic Covenant or the Sinai Covenant because it was on Mount Sinai. This is a conditional covenant made between God and the nation of Israel. It's conditional in that the blessing that God promises are directly related to Israel's obedience, right? So here's the outline of the covenant. Do this, I'll bless you. Don't, this, don't do this and you'll receive um, curses or, or um, punishment. So if Israel's obedient, they will get blessings, but if they disobey, God will punish them. And in the Mosaic law, this is the law that would reveal to people their sinfulness and their need for a savior. It's made basically of, of uh, several parts. So there's the Ten Commandments, there's ordinances that we should practice, worship, a worship system of offerings and such, and um, sacrifices, um, instructions on priesthood, uh, how to set up the tabernacle and how to worship there, and, and all the festivals that happen throughout the, um, you know, the year and such. Jesus said that he did not come to abolish this old covenant, to throw it away, but to fulfill the Mosaic covenant. And he, Jesus, is the faithful, faithful Israelite who truly obeyed the entire law. That's the Mosaic covenant. Uh, fourth covenant is God's covenant with King David. And this particularly focuses on the, the seed aspect of Abraham, uh, of the Abrahamic covenant, because, you know, about uh, Jesus bringing blessing. Um, the promises to David in this passage are very significant in that God promises that David's line would actually last forever and that his kingdom would never pass away. It's a permanent kingdom. Now, if you know in Israel's history, the David, Davidic throne has not been in place at all times. And even today, there's no, there's no king of Israel, right? But there will come a time where uh, someone from the, the line of David will begin to, will, will again sit on the throne of David and rule as king. And in that future monarch is Jesus. He is from the line of David, and he's going to extend God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And so having given you this brief primer on covenants, let's continue with examining our passage today with Paul and how he's educating Corinthians about Jesus being the center of this new covenant. And what is this new covenant all about? What does it look like? The Old Testament actually first mentions it in the book of Jeremiah. And it's something that the Israelites had to look forward to. So in Jeremiah chapter 31, 30, uh, 31 to 34, it reads this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I had made with their fathers on the day when I took them 
by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know, sorry, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will give their iniquity, oh, sorry, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So within chapter 3 of Corinthians, there are these phrases like ministry of the spirit, the ministry of righteousness. These are all synonymous with the new covenant. And in contrast, the old covenant, poses, uh, Paul talks about them as being the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation. And so Paul presents this case of the old covenant being replaced by the new covenant of Jesus um, because, Jesus, because of Jesus' redemptive work on the cross. You know, Jesus even made this claim shortly before being crucified by saying this, this is the cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And then we're going to be doing our communion shortly. But that's behind what Jesus is saying in terms of the new covenant. You see, the old covenant had many purposes, and among them is to basically reveal sinfulness to man. Although the law, the Mosaic law, was good and holy, it did not provide salvation for the nation of Israel. Romans 3.20 says this, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. This is why Paul calls the old covenant this ministry of death, this ministry of condemnation. So every time we, try, time we try to fulfill the law, it just leads us to disappointment, realizing we can't, we can't do all these commandments. We can't possibly do this. We're condemned. Why can't we, uh, we be right before God? And the new covenant is a covenant made first with the nation of Israel, but ultimately it's with all of mankind. In the New Covenant, God promises to forgive sin, and all the people will have this opportunity to become, to have a close relationship with God. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law of Moses and create this new covenant between God and his people. And under this promise, both Jews and Gentiles can be free from penalty of the law. Paul even furthers this by saying, look, the new covenant is way better than the old covenant. It is way better. It's an everlasting covenant. It outshines the old covenant. This is an image of two biblical movies, right? So the first one on your left is Moses. Uh, have you, and uh, this is from the Ten Commandments, the movie that, that Charlton Heston stand, uh, starred in. Uh, maybe some of you seen some have, but for us older people, we grew up on those Bible movies. So his face shown after he actually went up to Mount Sinai, Sinai and, and God gave him the Ten Commandments. 
Um, and you know, there's a picture of on the on the right of uh, the actor Jim Caviezel from the, the Passion movie, which was uh, Mel Gibson's uh, crack at um, doing the the Jesus narrative, and his his face is shining brighter, right? But you know, with Moses, every time just going back to Moses, every time he would talk to God. Uh, the Bible says that his face would glow. And I don't know what type of glow that is, if it's like an orange tan, you know, spray on tan sort of thing, but his face would glow, right? And the people were f afraid or shocked, so he'd, he'd wear a veil. And so, you know, that tan or whatever glow would actually fade over time. Like I just imagine people in Israel saying, hey, Mo, that glow is sort of wearing off, right? Uh, shouldn't you be conversing with Yahweh? You, you know, you know, you don't want to lose your connection with him, right? And so the people of Israel associated their connection with God by, by looking at Moses and seeing he was glowing <laughs> or not, right? So, but the, the thing with that, that old style is that Moses' glow faded. But Jesus's, Jesus Christ's glow never fades. His new covenant is everlasting and it's eternal. The verse that says this, now if the ministry of death carved in stone, in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit, so the new covenant, have even more glory? The glory of the new covenant is greater and longer lasting because the Spirit is within us as believers. It's a glory that never fades and it the believer, um, it is with the believer for eternity. And not only that, the new covenant is described as the ministry of righteousness, and it removes guilt of sin, along with empowering the believer to do what is right. So it's twofold. It removes the guilt of our sin, and we receive power from the Holy Spirit uh, as believers to do what is right. You know, the Israelites had the ministry of death. All they had to do was follow it with their own strength, right? That's the difference between the old and the new covenant. In the new covenant, we have power on high. And so if you guys have been reading along with us um, in N.T. Wright's book, I'm just going to refer to you a, uh, a quick reference uh, on pages 31 to 30, uh, 30 to 31. It's in about two teenagers uh, who are listening to music. Well, at the other end of the room, there's this famous pianist, and she's practicing um, for her concert. And the, the mother of the two teenagers comes into the picture, and, and she's frustrated with her kids because she feels that they're listening to, you know, pop, un, you know, some unforgettable pop music that's not going to last a couple of weeks. While there's this pianist over here, this concert pianist, playing these timeless pieces of beautiful music that people will love and, and appreciate and, and they'll last forever. And so in the mother's eyes, the kids are appreciating music that fades while, uh, and, and not the music that endures that the, the pianist plays. So, you know, the il illustration is not perfect and maybe there are other better illustrations, but you get the picture of what uh, N.T. Wright is trying to say, right, that, that in the comparison of, an old, of the Old Covenant versus 
uh, the, the everlasting new covenant. And so I just want to address why is it so hard for us to let go of things, break old habits and break old you know, routines. Maybe one reason is that we're you know, in our comfort zones where we don't want to get out of, of, of that comfort zone and be challenged to do you know, new things. We're just used to doing things a certain way. You know, face it, most of us are lazy myself included, and we just don't like change to some degree, right? Another reason could be maybe we've developed an emotional attachment to, to a routine or an object, just like I mentioned earlier uh, with the, you know, our Honda CRV, and, and it's hard to part with. Or maybe we've gotten used to the way of thinking that, that doing anything else would just be wrong and it would go against our logic. I'm sure you could rattle off a few more reasons why it's so hard to break a, tradi a tradition. You know, as a young child, um, I grew up in the Roman Catholic faith, believing, you know, certain traditions and rituals, praying to Mary and the saints and, and stuff like that. And I throw up this slide to you because, uh, do you guys, are you guys familiar with this slide and what it is? So it's, it's called, the, this statue is called the Santo Nino. Have you heard of what the Santo Nino is? This is supposed to be baby Jesus or child Jesus uh, statue. And there are things in a Filipino household that, uh, that are practiced when you have this Santo Nino. So he, Santo Nino has his special place, right? And uh, sometimes it'd be on top of a piano, sometimes it'd be in uh, whatever, a living room, sometimes it'd be, um, some, one time it's in my parents' room, right? So, there's some rules about Santo Nino. He has a specific place. And when you place him in that place, you're not supposed to put anything around him out of respect because it's like holy ground and you don't want to obstruct the view of a little Santo Nino, right? And, um, and so one time, I remember, uh, my brother and I were playing with, playing ball, you know, as kids, and it hit Santo Nino and broke his head off. <laughs> And um, that was <laughs> that was not uh, foreseen, and my you know my mom freaked out, and fortunately we super glued him back on, and Santini was fine, right? But you know, and I thought you know there's there's special importance placed on on um, images and, and stuff like that in the Roman Catholic tradition. And, like I thought to myself, did I break God? Did I break our protection, you know, our blessing on this home? Um, I mean, you could easily buy another Santonini for like 10 bucks in, in a market in the Philippines. But I, I'm going to tell you this story because my mother, um, when she became a born-again born believer, she had struggles with removing stuff like this uh, in the house. So, um, and letting go of some unscriptural practices uh, carried over from Roman uh, Catholicism. So believe it or not, we, we also even had a reclining Buddha <laughs> in our house. And so it wasn't until my mother realized that these idols and traditions are in direct violation of the scripture that he actually, she actually got rid of them. You see, she was overlooking this fact that she had direct access to God already through Jesus Christ. She had not fully understood that Jesus was 
the mediator, the only mediator she needed to talk to. She didn't need to go through a saint or Mary or Santo Nino, the baby Jesus statue. And then so once she understood what the new covenant was in Jesus, these man-made traditions were easy to let go of. And so I want to conclude today's sermon with what idol or tradition are you holding on to so tight that it is compromising your relationship with God? Friends, we know that behind the Corinthians' way of thinking was this influence of Jewish uh, minds in their congregation. You know, there were beliefs and works and that if you were able to keep all the laws of Moses, then you were holy and right with God. But the reality is no one is able to keep the entire Mosaic law. No one except Jesus. You know, think of the law as this mirror to show us our faults and, and how it's impossible for us to, to fulfill uh, and keep the law. The purpose of the Mosaic law raises these questions. Are you trusting yourself to keep all the Ten Commandments all the time, which you can't do? Or have you made the choice to accept Jesus as your Savior, the new covenant, and realizing that he has fulfilled all the commandments all the time for you, even paying your penalty for breaking them? Do you believe that you're good enough that you don't have to do bad things, that you don't cheat on your wife or your husband, your boyfriend or girlfriend, you don't steal or kill, you know, and then maybe you'll go to heaven if you don't do all those things. Brothers and sisters, those are works-based faith that are going to get you nowhere except for eternal condemnation. And if you haven't already made that decision to follow Jesus, the new covenant, I invite you to today. I'm going to ask our worship team to just sing a verse and chorus as I close in prayer and as we prepare our hearts for communion.